all hell the power of Jesus' name. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransomed from the Steve. 
Amen, and what a day that will be. We're so glad that you're here this morning, especially if you're a guest here with us today. We want to say welcome to you, and you can let us know of your presence by texting the word Westgate uh, to 94000, and this will allow us to know of your presence here uh, with us uh, this morning. Make sure that you uh, pick up uh, one of our uh, uh, brochures on the way out uh, this morning. It's got uh, events that will be coming up uh, for the month of December. This coming Thursday, our Women of Westgate will be having their uh, Christmas event, and you can continue to sign up for that out uh, in the foyer. Uh, and then next Sunday, uh, the music ministry uh, will be presenting Behold the Savior, and uh, that will be our musical celebration uh, for this Christmas uh, season. So I hope that you'll be a part of that. There's also uh, invitation cards out in the foyer that you can pick up and share those with people in the community and invite those to come and be a part of that special event uh, next Sunday. And then on the 12th, two weeks from today, we'll be having our annual Christmas caroling. And that is always a great time, so be looking for more information uh, about our Christmas caroling uh, that will be coming up on December uh, the 12th. We are so glad that you're here this morning, and I hope that you've come expecting and anticipating what God is going to do in this place today. Join me as we pray together. Father, thank you so much. We want to thank you this morning for this Thanksgiving season that is coming to a conclusion. Uh, but Father, may, may our gratefulness not just be for a season, but may we always remember and be mindful of the blessings and the grace and the mercy that you pour out upon us daily. And Father, may we always have a grateful heart. And Father, as we enter into this Christmas season, may our eyes be focused upon you. May we be mindful of the greatest gift that was ever given when you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to dwell among us, to give us a human example of who you are and of your love. Father, we thank you. And this morning, we want to take this time to praise you. So, Father, as we gather together this morning as the body of Christ, may the word that is preached fall upon our ears and make a change in our hearts 
And may our voices that are lifted up bring glory and honor to you. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen.
anticipation of your coming. May Jesus, may his presence, may the Holy Spirit be here in this place. We look forward to the time that we get to spend together with you. And now, may Jesus be magnified. As we sing your praises, as we hear your word preached and magnified, may Jesus be lifted up. We ask these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus. And the people of God said together, for being so flexible you are amazed where we've been over the last 20 months all the different things that we have experienced as a church and um, I wanted to kind of apologize for you to you for last week I was so disoriented up here I don't know that I made any sense throughout the the course of my time being up here but trying to get used to sounding different it sounds so different than it did over in the gym uh, did any of you see me crawling on the stage when we were praying? That means you didn't have your head bowed when we were praying. But, you know, I asked us to kneel, and I knelt down, and when I began to pray, this monitor just blasted where I couldn't even hear myself, and it was echoing through my mic. And so I had to crawl over here to finish praying. Felt like I was preaching behind a barricade with a, the pulpit. Some of you guys were sitting in different places. It's just a different environment. Um, so anyway... My apologies, I was just kind of disoriented. I'm still a little bit disoriented trying to get accustomed to everything in here. Think about it, we, we, we met, we met, then we didn't meet, then we met in here, then we met in the gym. It's, it's been crazy, but I'm so grateful for your flexibility. And I want to thank you for your generosity. Uh, last week we were talking about raising $3,000 to support an orphanage over in Uganda, and that represents... Every child being sponsored for $1 per day. That gives them food and shelter and education provisions. And uh, we're trying to raise a month's worth. We're right at 2000 So if you want to give, we'll continue that just a little bit longer. But I don't want that to interrupt our Lottie Moon Christmas offering that is coming up. Well, today we wrap up this very long series in the book of John. 45 weeks we have been in the gospel of John throughout the 2021 basically today we come to the conclusion and I'm calling it a fitting recap in which John gives us a recap of his entire gospel I think we're going to see how Jesus is pulling the disciples together around that fire remember last week we saw Peter jump out of the boat and by the way how many of you feel like you're going overboard for God we talked about being on board but going overboard and Peter went overboard, swimming to shore. There he is on the side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has put together a fire, and once again, he catches himself warming himself next to a charcoal fire. I want us to see just a couple of things, just rehearsing from last week, is to be reminded that God goes before us. You notice how Jesus went before the disciples. He said, you guys go to Galilee. I'm going to meet you there. And he did. And when they got there, not only was he there ahead of them, but he had prepared a way in which he had put together a breakfast for them. Some of us need to know that Jesus is interested in every detail of our lives. Sometimes he, we get the idea that he only wants to know if we've read the Bible or we've prayed today. Here were the disciples seeing Jesus for the third time as a group of disciples. And Jesus invites him in for a breakfast. He doesn't say to them, guys, let's focus on the important things. Okay, I know you've been fishing all night. You didn't catch anything. I know you haven't eaten, but let's focus on what really matters. So, so just quit thinking about food. Put that aside. I want to teach you a few things. But instead of doing that, he gives them a breakfast. And he serves them food. And says, listen, just as the psalmist wrote about in Psalm 37, 23. He directs the steps of the godly, and he is interested in every detail of their lives. The New Living Translation translates that he delights in every detail of our lives. 
Aren't we grateful for that? Well, when John gets to the conclusion of his gospel, I believe that he gives us this restoration of, of Peter. Is really, it, it's, it's really the gospel in HD. It communicates to us what the gospel is all about. Remember that, that John wrote long after Peter had died. And he remembered what happened to his dear friend that day so many decades ago. And he thought, you know what? That is a fitting ending. None of the other Gospels have this story in there. And he said, that is such a beautiful picture of the Gospel, the way that Jesus restored Peter. See, John wrote of people all through his book being called out of their old life into a new life and then being invited to be participants in God's building of his kingdom. Isn't that good news? That as Christians, we've been called out of our old lives into a brand new life to be participants in his building of his kingdom. So here's the gospel in a nutshell, in HD, as we look at this experience of Peter's restoration. If you would join me in John chapter 21, I'd like to read verses 15 and following. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Verse 20, it says, Peter turned and he saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, was following behind him. And this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is it going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said, well, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered Peter, if I want you to remain alive, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that the, this disciple would not die, speaking of John. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Verse 24, it says, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world wouldn't have room for the books that would have been written. Let's pray one more time. Father, we know that your word is so important to us. It speaks to us with such relevance whenever we read it, if we'll allow it to. So I pray that you would help us to allow your spirit to speak into our lives individually and collectively. Lord, that is such a tension that we balance in our lives. Most of our attention is focused on ourselves individually, but you've called us to be in community. So we need both. Speak to us personally, we ask. And speak to us as a church, that we might grow and mature, that we might do exactly what this gospel has called us to do, to truly believe that you are the Son of God, and because of that, forever having our lives changed. Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as we look at the restoration of Peter, that's what this is all about. We see the gospel in HD. It is in vivid color for us to see. And the first thing that I want us to notice about the gospel is we are all sinners in need of restoration. Go back to verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Why did he ask them that? Because that had been called into question when Peter had denied him. And we probably 
even in our own lives, we would like to just skip over this part. We'd like to skip over sin in our lives. But Jesus doesn't. He doesn't overlook sin. He doesn't minimize sin. In fact, he died so that sin could be addressed, not trivialized or ignored. Oftentimes, we want to overlook sin. We want to trivialize sin. We just want to deny it exists. Rather than saying to Peter, let's go fish again. He says, let's address your sin. See, until we see our sin like God sees our sin, we will never seek true forgiveness. We'll attempt to compensate for our sin. We'll try to do other things, looking for Jesus I better get that phone, whoever that is. It's, I don't know if that's for me or not. <laughs> Unless we see our sin like God sees our sin, we will trivialize it. We'll ignore it. We'll deny it. And we'll try to compensate for it. And that will lead to destructive attitudes and destructive behaviors because we never can compensate for our guilt and our sin. And that's why Jesus uses the word Simon all throughout ministry. You remember when Jesus called Peter? He said, you're Simon, but, but I'm going to call you Peter. I'm going to give you a, a, a new name. But he refers to him as Simon. Why? Because he was acting more like Kalichi than a rock, more like a pebble than a stone. He was acting like his former self, the former self that he had called him from. It's interesting that it's really a, a gracious act as well. What Jesus is saying to Peter is saying, Simon, and reminds him of how far he had come over those three years from who he used to be to who he was after following Jesus. And Jesus is going to remind Peter the same thing that all of us need to be reminded of today. Failure is not final. And it doesn't surprise God. Sometimes when we fail, we feel like it's forever, but we also feel as if somehow God is disappointed or surprised. It never surprises God. It just reminds us our failure reminds us of our desperate need to depend on him, to realize that, that we are inadequate in and of ourselves. What I love about this story is that Peter didn't have to pay penance. He said, okay, Peter, over the next three days, if you can catch more than 153 fish, then we're going to let you go. He just received Jesus' mercy. We are all like Peter. We are needing the same thing that David wrote about in Psalm 23.3. To have our, store, our souls restored. And that's exactly what God was doing. What Christ was doing is restoring Peter. We're all sinners in need of restoration. Just like Peter. And we're going to see that Jesus offers Peter, as well as us, painful restoration and we're going to look at that on the on the screen and we're going to say i'm not sure i agree or like the fact that jesus offers us painful restoration but hear me out and see if this makes sense peter didn't have a confidence problem at least he didn't prior to a few weeks before this event. He was having a tough time learning the lesson that Jesus had taught them in John 15, 5, that apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, you can do all things. And what Jesus was doing in this painful res restoration is he was helping Peter to transfer his confidence from himself to Jesus. This is the second time that John has referenced a charcoal fire in his gospel. 
previous time was in John 18, 18, in which Peter had denied him. So here was Peter, just jumped off the boat, swam 100 yards into the shore. Jesus has a charcoal fire going, and the same smell is going through his mind. That smell that brought horrible memories. The same smell that was there when he denied knowing who Jesus was. Made him nauseous. But you know what Jesus can do in every one of our lives? He is about to take that nauseous smelling charcoal fire and turn it in, transform it into a soothing aroma. See, friends, the remembrance of our failures can lead us down a pathway of of remorse and sadness and despondency, or it can point us to God's amazing grace. That's what Jesus was doing. He wanted to point Peter to God's amazing grace. I love the way that Jesus is restoring Peter. Peter had forsaken Christ, but the Lord did not forsake him, nor does he forsake us. Have we all denied Jesus? Sure. Some point in our life, maybe multiple times, but he doesn't forsake us. And the fact that he does this three times, the fact that he's going to ask him, and let's just read it again, verses 15 and 18, he asked him the first time, do you love me more than these? You know that I love you, and Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then verse 16, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, you know that I love you. Okay, take care of my sheep. Third time, Simon, do you love me? Peter's hurt. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So feed my sheep. Three times obviously matches the three times that Peter had denied Jesus. In the Near Eastern culture, you would verify something by saying it out loud three times in front of witnesses. You remember Peter had vowed that he would not deny the Lord. And he even said in Matthew 26, 33, that even with these other disciples, if, if they bail on you, you can count on me. I will not. And notice what Jesus does. How painful is this? He restores Peter in the midst of the other disciples. He doesn't take him off by himself and say, let's talk about that. In front of the very disciples that Peter said, he would stand up and be far superior to them and he wouldn't deny the Lord even though they would. In front of those disciples, he asked him, do you really love me? More than these? Like you said you did in the, utter, uh, in the upper room? The way that you claimed? You know, it's helpful for us to honestly assess our love for God. Not, not just to go through the motions, but from time to time to honestly assess do I really love God the way that I think, the way that I say, the way that maybe other people perceive that I do? He was pushing him. Jesus was pushing Jesus back to what he called the greatest commandment and saying, do you love me with all of your heart, soul, and mind? And the words that he used were very strategic. Jesus starts off by saying, do you love me with agape love, meaning, do you have unconditional loyalty to me? Peter responds by saying that he loves him in the phileo. There are multiple terms for love in the Greek. And he responds by saying, you know that I love you with my emotions. Jesus said, do you love me with loyalty that you will never forsake me? And Peter says, I love you with all of my emotions. Jesus asked him, asked him again, do you, do you love me with complete loyalty that you will never forsake me? And Peter says, I love you with emotions. And the problem with that is emotions, they vacillate, don't they? They fluctuate. So he asked him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter had a tank full of emotions, like some of us. I, I, would, I would say that for me, I'm, I'm pretty much a cardboard cutout. My emotions don't go real high and they don't go real low. But some of us, I mean, we have way up here with emotions. I mean, we can get there. And that's where Peter was. He was always ready 
jump out of the boat, swim, do whatever. Jesus is saying, Peter, I know that you have a tank full of emotion. But I'm calling you to a higher, a deeper, stronger, better type of love. A type of love in which you will never deny me again. And the third time, Peter said, okay, do you love me emotionally? And that's what grieved Peter, because Jesus had lowered the standard. He says, okay, but here's a good thing. It could be that Jesus was being gracious and saying, Peter, I know you feel so guilty. So let me come down to where you are, and that's okay. It was painful for Peter. And I think for all of us, we need to experience the pain of restoration. Grace is not cheap. And I know for some of you, you may even, you may even say, I don't even agree with you in saying that. But I'm not so sure that we haven't so trivialized, ignored, and denied, and minimized sin that there's no pain in our repentance to come back to Christ. Not penance, but pain in our repentance of grieving over our sin, so much so that we never want to go there again. I want us to see also that Jesus so graciously restored Peter in front of the disciples. It's, it's painful, but it's also gracious because he allows all of those disciples to see this extended mercy of Christ. They all needed that. They had all abandoned Jesus. And this would be a template that they would never forget the rest of their lives. Jesus extending such grace and mercy to Peter. And let me say another thing. Just because it hurt Peter doesn't mean it wasn't good for him. Think about the culture in which we live. If we're hurt or offended, it can't be good. We have made offensiveness the greatest injustice of all. But friends, there are things far worse than being offended. If someone doesn't love you enough to offend you out of your sin into God's restoration and grace, you are not truly loved. Peter's restoration was much like any surgery that we might experience. There is a level of discomfort and pain that leads to restoration. The same thing happened in John chapter 4 when Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well, offering her this living water. He said, well, go get your husbands, your husband, and it was husbands. And he pointed out Sinful relationships in her life that needed to be corrected. God wants us to do the same thing. So that we'll get past our sin. Past it and not stay in it. He wanted Peter to also recognize that his strength wasn't from himself. It was going to come from God. It pushed him outside of himself. From focusing on what was happening on the inside to what was happening out. That's why he said, feed my sheep. He was calling him to a job and a responsibility to focus on the needs of other people. God invites us to be in the process of ministering to other people. And that's why he would say, feed my sheep. Jesus goes on to talk about this situation of how he's going to die. When you were younger, you did whatever you wanted. When you're older, that won't be that way. But Peter was a captain of a ship, literally and figuratively. And Jesus was saying, you're going to have to start depending on me instead of yourself, learning complete submission. And then the statement about Peter's death, he says, you're going to stretch out your hands. Talk about crucifixion. Everybody understood that. In this time in which John wrote that, everybody understood that he was describing crucifixion. And when he did that, Jesus was graciously affirming Peter's love. He was saying, you're going to love me. Don't miss this. You're going to love me so much that you will die for me. From here until the point of your death. What a statement of 
affirmation. What he feared most, the night that he denied Christ, would literally become the crowning gift of being able to die for his Lord. So the joy of restoration is found in following Christ unconditionally. I hope you're with me. The joy of restoration is found in following Jesus unconditionally. Peter was given a job by Jesus, feed my sheep, be a shepherd of God's people. And that literally means the words that he used there were to say that you will do everything the sheep need. You'll feed them, you'll protect them, you will guide them, you'll provide for them. Peter, I'm calling you to an all-inclusive all responsibility to take care of my people. And then he invites him to follow him. The joy of restoration is found in following Jesus unconditionally. Look back at verse 19 and following. Jesus said all of this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Now there's a very unusual transition that takes place here. We don't know exactly how it plays out. But somewhere along the line, Jesus is restoring Peter in front of the disciples. And then at some point, they get up and they begin to walk, just the two of them, and John is walking behind them. And it says in verse 20, after Jesus said, follow me, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was also following them, yet at a distance. And Peter said, what about him? You know, here was Peter who thought that he had disqualified himself. Some of us here today, maybe we feel like we have disqualified ourselves in the kingdom of God. We may still come to church, we may still do some things, but we feel like we're now on a second tier. Not true. We are not disqualified, and that's exactly what Jesus was assuring Peter as he does to us. He was saying the same calling that I gave you three years ago when I said, you as a fisherman, you come follow me. The same calling still stands today. Follow me. G. Campbell Morgan was a British minister, died uh, in 1945. And he has written in the way that he translates this. I love the way that he translates follow me. He says, travel with me is what it literally means. Travel with me is what Jesus is saying. What a great invitation, meaning let's do it together, Peter. Forget about the fact that you have denied me. We're now restored. You follow me. Let's travel together. Let's do it together. But Peter, he's still in the pre-Pentecost state of Peter, and he turns and he sees John, and he says, well, what about him? If I'm going to have to die on a cross, what about him? As Dr. Howard Hendricks, which one of your professors, uh, Clint, Comparison, he said, is a favorite indoor sport of Christians. We love to compare ourselves to other people. Why? Because when we look at our own failures and inadequacies, we can always find somebody else that's done it worse than us, right? So that makes us feel better. Uniquely, we don't compare ourselves to somebody that's just knocking it out of the park and saying, oh, wow, you know, I usually knocked it down. And instead of comparing... As Dr. Morgan, I paraphrased what he wrote in his commentary, don't spoil your journey by comparing yourself to others. Don't spoil your journey by comparing yourself to others. Because yes, there will always be somebody better than you and you will feel inadequate. And there will always be somebody that's not doing it as well as you and you will feel superior. Peter followed after Jesus for three decades and he never turned again. He knew for three decades he would die a gruesome death, but he never stopped talking about Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, verse 20, he and John, together, standing before the religious leaders, he would say to them, we can't stop talking. They threatened them with all kinds of, uh, of things, and he said, you know what, we just can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. Same words with which Peter was called into ministry. Jesus says, this is the essence of Christianity. Follow me. Are you following Jesus? It's impossible to follow anyone greater than Jesus. That's what we get to the very end of John's gospel here in verse 24. It says, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and has written them down. John is saying, I am putting it down in ink 
There is no one greater than Jesus that you can follow. And then it says, we know that his testimony is true. What does that mean? Why is he going to the plural there? Well, tradition believes that John wrote his gospel in Ephesus. Ephesus was the most influential church in Asia Minor. And the thought is that the elders of that church wrote down to say, yes, we testify, verify. This is a legal statement that what this man has said is indeed true. How true was it for Peter? 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Now, let me, let me grab your attention for a moment. Think back that we are now, what we're about to read is three decades after this events of Peter being restored. Listen to what Peter writes three decades later, not long before he would die that gruesome death. Here's what he would say. Three decades, three denials. What a contrast. He would live, th live three decades after this. Three decades, three denials. The three denials were followed by three decades of fervently following Christ. To the elders, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4, through 4, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Do you remember that Jesus called Peter to be a shepherd? Shepherd my people, verse 2, it says, be shepherds of God's flock. Friends, I hope you're really engaged right now because I want you to see the connection point of Peter's restoration three decades previously and what he would write three decades later. Don't shepherd people because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Verse 5, it says, again, three decades later, Peter writing, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility. Does that ring a bell? It was the pride of Peter that led to his denials. Clothe yourself with humility. Because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. Once he was humbled on the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, he received the favor of God's restoration. Verse 6, he repeats, humble yourselves. Therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Restored on the Sea of Galilee, a despondent follower of Christ, led to be the dynamic leader of the early church. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. You can't shoulder it alone. Let him take your anxiety. Verse 8, be alert, be sober-minded, for your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour like he did me three decades ago, Peter would say. So resist him. Stand firm in your faith, unlike I did. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Look at verse 10. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong. Firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. You know, when John got to the end, he says that he didn't write everything about Jesus. Because number one, that would be impossible to do. And he notes that. If you did that, even the world itself couldn't contain all the books. But two, you don't have to know everything about Jesus to believe in him. You don't have to know everything about the Bible to believe in Jesus. You simply have to trust him. John included what he did. So that, as he said in his purpose statement, that you would believe that he is the Son of God, and by believing in him, you would have eternal life. So God's, John's gospel is, is incomplete, not because it's inadequate, but because the work of God continues. 
Friends, you're a part of God's continuing work. So the question is, what good news, what gospel are you writing? What gospel am I writing? The gospel in HD. We're all sinners in need of restoration. Jesus offers painful restoration that takes us out of our sin. The joy of restoration is found in following Jesus unconditionally, mattering not what other people do, how they live their lives, we will follow him. And it's impossible to follow anyone greater than Jesus. John chose his words very strategically. And that's insightful for us to remember. Don't chase extraneous ideas. Focus on what matters most. That people would come to know, understand, and believe in Jesus Christ. And because of him, have their lives forever changed. God loves us and he's created us to have relationship with him. And Jesus Christ came because we could never do that on our own. Old Testament, New Testament, both tell us that we are separated from God by our sin. Because of the grace of Jesus Christ, he can restore us and make us right with God. All we have to do is humbly repent of our sins and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, fully surrendering our life to him. If you've never done that, whether you're in this room or listening online, I pray that today would be the day that you would invite Jesus Christ to restore you and make you right with God, enter into a relationship with him. I'd like to lead us in a prayer, so let's pray together. Father, as we come to the conclusion of this gospel, we've been reminded that it is full of good news. In a world in which we are saturated with bad news, led to believe that maybe no good news actually does exist, we have been reminded that the greatest news of all is that even in our sin, your greatest desire is to restore us into right relationship with you, no matter who we are, no matter what we have done. And I pray that we would not try to earn your favor, to work off our sin, leave our guilt. God, we would simply receive your mercy, for which we are so thankful. Lord, if anyone listening today within this room or online has never received Christ as Lord and Savior, might this be the day they take their very first step in that relationship by praying a prayer similar to this Lord Jesus I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life Lord, for those of us who have already trusted in you as our Savior and Lord, we think of the restoration that you gave Peter. He wasn't a man that was disqualified by his sin. He was a sinner that was redeemed by your love. And his three denials were followed by three decades of following you so hard that they would ultimately nail him to a cross to stop him from talking about you. Lord, might we ask the question, have I been transformed like that? Am I living like that? I pray that we would, that we will. Lord, thank you for my friends, the opportunity that you've given me to be a shepherd over this flock. What a wonderful congregation. What wonderful people. I pray, Lord, that just as we committed ourselves several weeks ago, that we would, we would move into this room with a greater resolve to engage with one another, to engage in our faith, to engage in relationship with you, that that, that would be our continuing forward momentum. That would be our calling. That would be our desire to fully engage with you and to love you with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and to demonstrate that love in relationship with others. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Love you all. Thanks for listening. During this time of worship and commitment, if you sense that God is
calling you to make some type of public statement about your faith, to receive Christ, to be baptized, to join this church, for someone to pray with you. I'll be standing over by the cross, and you can come over there and I'll pray with you, or you can meet us out in the atrium after the service. But let's all stand and let's respond to God as we sense him leading today. you are. 